Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 213, I'm Beyond Tired. This week we're discussing season 7, episode 10 of Buffy, Bring On the Night, and season 4, episode 13 of Battlestar Galactica, Sometimes a Great Notion. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, starting with uh, Buffy. Again, we're having a little uh, mini run of Buffy episodes here. Um, And just to very generally say, we may come up with specific connections, but nice amount of crossover between these episodes. That always pleases me when we kind Mm -hmm. of find two random episodes that share themes or tone or ideas or whatever it is. Um, So a lot of, a lot of discussion of, I guess, kind of depression and uh, tiredness more generally is sort of the word that's used in both episodes, which is sort Mm -hmm. of what we honed in on for the title. But this uh, notion of the exhaustion of the struggle and and getting to the sort of end of your tether and your ability to struggle on and continue on with that and what do the characters decide to do with that um so they work rather well together that way i think yeah no i agree so kind of gonna take buffy character by character um the plot stuff in this episode is is less uh you know kind of forefront i think it's not so much about things happening so much as i think actually in the case of both episodes it's more about checking in with where the characters are and what their mood is and what their decisions are going to be going forward they're both kind of setting the stage for what's coming next and sort of setting up the second half of their seasons so um kind of going to go character by character here. And uh, to start with Buffy, we um, get a little bit of a follow-up from the Conversations with Dead People episode where, you know, they're kind of sitting around in Buffy's house and talking and Xander's repairing the damage and they're doing research about the first and all this sort of thing. And then Buffy starts having visions of... Joyce um or initially she has one vision she sees her mother there and kind of knows that it's not real right away um maybe even knows or suspects that it's the first right away and yet you still I feel like get the pull of the temptation to want to believe in her a little bit like there's something about just the fact of it being Joyce herself that you can see the the confusion on Buffy of both wanting to distrust it and also not being completely able to totally discount what yeah. this this ghost is telling her. Um, not and then. Not unlike Dawn. And then, but even with Buffy's extra knowledge, like at least mm-hmm. Dawn kind of 
was blindsided by what she thought was a real ghost and sure you know didn't really have this extra knowledge buffy kind of knows that people have been seeing these ghostly figures she knows that the first is around she should be kind of on her guard um and it's not like she's completely duped by it but there's still something about joyce that is comforting even if she's probably a manifestation of ultimate evil (laughs) and so um and then she wakes up so you have this also this added layer of it being a dream and what does that mean um yeah which now that i think about it that complicates it even more like the first is we've seen like actually appears to people in their waking lives now here we have kind of Joyce appearing as the dream. Are we jumping to conclusions that it's the first? Maybe, maybe is this, you know, a dream vision of some kind? Is this Buffy's subconscious? Is this, you know, Joyce or some other spirit actually talking to her through her dreams? That's a little bit unclear. Um, and and you get that sort of classic dream trope of Joyce, dream Joyce, saying you need to wake up you need but it's like xander trying to wake her up right Right. so like yeah can we can we conclude that this is or isn't the first like i don't i don't know if we can be entirely sure either like we can maybe be a bit incredulous like buffy but also could could there be an argument that it's possibly whether joyce or not maybe maybe it is uh, you know, something trying to legitimately warn Buffy or or like you said, maybe it's Buffy's subconscious and, and it's it's dream, right? Like, I mean, as a dream, does it necessarily mean anything? It's this, mm-hmm. is this cheese man Joyce. Like, right. you know, maybe it's, I mean, I, I'd like to think it's a little more meaningful than the cheese man perhaps, but like, right. you know, it like, could it just be a dream that's not really like it's just kind of expressing her own fears and worries and Mm -hmm. what needs to be done more so than anything else. Right. Cause we don't, we haven't, like you said, like the first is only appeared so far as we know in sort of, you know, like in, not in dreams, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so is it capable of appearing in someone's dream? Maybe. I don't know. Like, right. it, that's a good question. Like, that's not data that we know yet. And it's not, it's not something that child, like, we get a fair amount of information about the first in this episode, but that's not one of them. Like, being able to appear in dreams is not a power that's given to the first. Now, that doesn't mean he can't, or it can't, mm-hmm. but it's not something that we know it can do either. So. Right. It would be establishing a new precedent to suddenly be able to do that, um, which doesn't mean it's not able, but it that's not something we've seen it do before. And I mean, I think we're certainly encouraged to see it as the first. And that sort of seems to be Buffy's conclusion, even if she's somewhat skeptical and doesn't really definitively decide. And I mean, I I feel like that's the way the dialogue is pointing that the same type of of 
tactic that it took on Willow and on Dawn of sort of preying on their their fears and weaknesses and encouraging them to give up basically is kind of the approach it takes with Buffy. Um, now you again, if this is Joyce or you know you could chalk that up to motherly protectiveness of oh your friends put too much pressure on you and all that like you could kind of see you know a mom saying that you could see that as Buffy's insecurity about her friends not being able to really help her if you're feeling isolated so you can definitely explain it away but the way the dialogue kind of points to um you know uh things so like you know you it, it kind of saying like th this this language of of not fighting anymore of kind of giving up seems to be part of the way that that it's talking like you know this evil is part of all of us it's natural and no one can stop it but like that's a that's a message of it, there might be truth in there but there's also a message of hopelessness in there too of like kind of what's the the point and it's all a bit uh i i get what you're saying but again i don't i don't know that that necessarily rules out it just being buffy's subconscious fears sure i don't think it rules it out but I, if i'm speculating and putting my chips down that's that that's certain that was the impression that i came away with um, yeah and and i think it's written ambiguously i don't think yeah i personally don't think there is a clear answer like mm -hmm. i think we're supposed to question you know whatever i i think for me and and like we've talked about how the first kind of speaks truths right like mm -hmm. or half truths or whatever mm -hmm. like that it's it it doesn't necessarily outright lie or you know whatever the manipulations are are using things that are true or at least mostly true so like the first time it come you know the first dream sequence with Joyce is um you know she is talking about like you know there's some things you can't control the sun always goes down the sun always comes up and and talking about you have to sleep but but there's also that like she says if you're going to beat it like you have to sleep like that there's there's a sense of you're doing too much and and you need to get your rest which is also what giles tells her and mm -hmm. also and like other people throughout the episode are like you should take time to sleep now that it's daytime and the you know vamp uber vamp is not able to come out and get you like and so i you know i don't what which is right like buffy clearly doesn't go to sleep but then she also gets beat up twice in this mm -hmm. episode by the uber so maybe maybe there is an aspect of like you you know in order to be in your top shape you should yeah. you know get some rest and whatever um right but you know, I, you know, again, like maybe that's, yeah, maybe there's an aspect too of like, if Buffy's off away resting, then the first can kind of go work its mad or, you know, work its evil mm -hmm. 
you know, while she's kind of taken out of the picture too. So like, I, I definitely think there's a way to spin it either way. And, and the ambiguity is, you know, maybe part of the, you know, the question there. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and definitely rather than lies, it is sort of always calculated truths, right? Like truths that are chosen to manipulate you in a particular way is sort of what the first tells. So it selectively arranges true ideas and true facts into a way that kind of encourages you into what it wants you to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it depends on where you want to place the emphasis. How do you want to spin it? Is it, is it, you should rest because you're overtired and you'll be much stronger if you take care of yourself. And if you rest tonight, that means you can fight better tomorrow. Or is it encouraging rest because the struggle is, is too much and you're never really going to be able to beat it anyway. So you might as well just sort of not be quite so hard on yourself because, you know, like it says, evil is natural and it's always going to be there. Um, which I mean, like that's getting into the larger metaphor of, I guess there is a metaphor to the first of the concept of evil itself. It's not just a particular villain. It's all of evil, which like is true. Like, I don't think the argument of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that you can totally defeat evil once and for all, for all time. Um, like that would seem to thing seem to be a thing that is not achievable on in the world as we know it. Um, to say Buffy can go out and defeat ultimate evil would be a kind of useless metaphor, I think. You know, like mm -hmm. there's no way to apply that in any sort of way to like anybody's actual experience with the world. Um, so, so there is truth in saying. You can't hope to defeat evil yourself. That's not a war you can win. Um, and so maybe there's some kernel of, of a real thing in there that Buffy kind of needs to needs yeah. to hear. Um, which which by the end is kind of where she takes it because mm -hmm. like she's not right right like, and this is this is the whole Whedon ensemble thing right is that by the end she's like we're we're an army we're declaring war so it's not by herself it's mm -hmm. which kind of is her thing going throughout the rest of the episode is and i realize i'm sort of jumping over a bunch of stuff and we can talk about a few of the particulars going here but mm -hmm. you know if if there's anything about this episode like the change from beginning to end is that she is kind of taking everything on by herself but by the end it's we're an army, we're declaring war, we're, you know, going to fight this thing together. So there kind of is a shift there. Um, right. And not the first time we've seen that sort of shift in in Buffy of, you know, someone trying to do everything on their own and realizing it takes mm -hmm. a group right. effort. Um, so. Right. Um, yeah, okay, so before we get into the speech, which I think is very meaty, so I want to definitely, like, 
you know, pull out some of the most interesting parts of it. Um, kind of wanted to go through the other stuff that kind of happens Buffy adjacent in this episode. So, um, <laughs> uh, very quickly, Andrew is still kind of around as uh, as their prisoner. Uh, it's not like a ton of stuff with him. It's it's a lot of him giving kind of color commentary and like comic relief and everything um, over in the corner. Um, and yeah. I, I mean, the one useful thing being that he leads them to the the basement where they did the ritual and everything. So um, right. He he's very keen to uh convince everybody that he's um turning good. You know, mine is a redemptive struggle, as he says. Um <laughs> whether we're convinced by that, whether anybody's convinced by that, is it just like his old moral weakness of saying whatever's kind of convenient in the moment, given like who it is that's pushing him around, you know? Um, like he tells them where to go in the basement because what else is he going to do? Like he doesn't, they make him show him and he does it. Like there's not a huge amount of choice there, but. Yes, I agree. Like, I agree with all that. One thing I will say sort of, you know, in defense of Andrew Mm -hmm. is that like, he does seem genuinely uh, appreciative of you know, the realization that, like, Buffy saved him from being killed, even though he's, like, evil and their nemesis, right? Like, right. or right. at least in his In eyes. his own mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, like, that, you know, she still saved him from the bringers and all of that. Like, there seems to be a genuine moment of uh, appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. I, you know... To me, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would say, I don't know that's really in defense of him, but just sort of like, whatever, is that like, you know, he's talking to, when when he's talking to Xander, um, like saying like, oh, you know, how long have you followed Buffy? And like, you kind of see his, like, this is his, you know, theory of, being a minion right is like that you follow people and whatever and it's sort of like these these stronger personalities who yeah yeah. it it never occurs to him like xander's like well i don't follow her she's my best friend Mm -hmm. and he's like huh which is interesting when you think about like jonathan and warren were supposedly his best friends but like they weren't really friends right Mm -hmm. like it was it was him following warren and then, like, him betraying Jonathan. Like, he d- he doesn't have that sort of right. level of friendship to, like, compare to. And then... Well, and his aspiration was to be Warren's best friend, or maybe more. And, you know, Warren treated him like the follower. Like, right. in, in, his, in his dark army. Um, that, But that's what Andrew was looking to achieve, was actual partnership of some kind. Like, feeling like we're in this together, we're equals, we're working um, on the, toward the same goal and everything. The other, yeah, the other thing um, with, with like, the Xander stuff, too, is then you get, like, his, you get uh, Andrew's sort of, like, you know, Buffy seems like a good leader, 
she has shiny hair. You know what I mean? Like there's like a disconnect there. Like, does he actually know what the qualities of a good leader is? Like, and, and maybe the more misogynistic viewpoint of like only seeing the sort of physical Mm -hmm. aspects of, you know, a quote unquote strong woman, you know, and not really understanding like, you know, what the, what the true nature of leadership, um, you know, behind that and, and her capabilities are. Right. Um, right. And his general, like, flakiness in general, like, that he doesn't really understand. Sure. True good or true evil. Like, he never really understands what the good people are about, and nor does he ever really understand the full implications of what he's doing when he's being bad. You know, it's all a bit surface right. level. It's all about what coat are you wearing? He talks about needing intimidating names. Um, Mm-hmm. I like the line about uh, I I went over to the dark side, but just to pick up a few things, and now I'm back. That like it, he makes it sound so easy to just sort of flip right. between the light and dark, and right. not realizing that like there are actual worldview implications to this. Of right. how are you living your life, and what do you think about your world and your place in it, and all this stuff? Like, there's no depth to. And and the you consequences of the things yeah. that you do, like the fact that he killed Jonathan, like that's more than just like popping over to the dark side to pick up a few things. Like right, right. you killed the one person who was like still willing to like work with you and mm-hmm. be your friend. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, maybe there's a redemptive arc in the future, but um, a, a redemptive struggle but he it's kind of hard to feel like there can be a re- redemptive struggle if you don't understand your need for redemption yet so sure. um we'll have to kind of see if being around them has a positive influence but then you know he seems to just kind of follow the lead of the crowd so even that isn't necessarily mean it goes a whole lot deeper than that if he just sort of does what he's told and and absorbs what's around him um but anyway wanted to at least kind of point him out yeah um there's some more stuff with principal wood um and right so like after jonathan leads them to the right right and they kind of bump into him down there because like (laughs) we know he's been down and everybody's kind of like what are you doing down here i don't know what are you doing down here Oh, look, um, we both have shovels. Yes. What's that all about? Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> nobody's very good at lying about why they're there, but then nobody else wants to pry because they're worried about why they're down there. So it like yeah. doesn't really... Right. Everybody just kind of looks the other way and, you know. You definitely get that sense that it's that thing of like, they're so wrapped up in their own thing and trying to like convince the other person yeah. of their own legitimacy that they're not thinking about the right. other person's right. Right. legitimacy. So, um, right. yeah, I just, I mean, it, oh, someone left this out on the grounds and so I'm returning it. Um, which actually is like, that's like, a, like you could make that argument as a principle, like, oh, one of the, you know, landscapers or, you know, janitors apparently left this out and I didn't want a student to stumble over it. So I'm just bringing it back down. Like that seems like a legitimate thing for right. a, a principal to do. I mean, Right. Not all that thing. Buffy's is a little less believable. Like, right. like first of all, like, 
what, why would you expect to find like an open, you know, patch of ground in like this is the thing that like nobody ever answers. Like, why is there just like a patch of dirt in the basement? Like, shouldn't it be concrete slab? Mm-hmm. Like, who who does that? Like, Xander's construction company did not do a very good job if they right. failed to like pour concrete in this one huge well, area. Something or someone assured that there would be this this bare patch, I guess. Um, yeah, and got around the construction workers somehow. Um. um but yeah, so more ominous and more meta than that is the the later discussion about um horror movies and scary things and everything. Um mm. and and Principal Wood takes his position of scary movies aren't uh good for kids. Uh that it's something that you shouldn't mess around with, especially with young people, introducing them to images or ideas that they're not ready for and could be potentially scarring to them um so and then she says what kind of movies do you like and he doesn't turn around i like mysteries right you know i like finding out what's underneath at the very end and he gives a little smile and walks away (laughs) um so again like every i feel like every scene they deliberately kind of give evidence on both sides you know as to like you could spin it either way is he there's definitely obviously something going on we've seen him with the shovel you don't just grab a shovel and bury bodies unless you know a little bit more about what's going on you know um but they're very careful to keep the scales even i think about which direction, you know, he could be going in. Because I can see the scary movie thing as being like a, um, you know, like Buffy's position is more about we should be honest about things. And if there are scary things in the world, we should, we should be, you know, kind of honest about that with kids and about with young people. And this is sort of a thesis statement of, this show and other shows for young people that feature scary things of like, you know, it's like the GK Chesterton. Well, if they're going to meet dragons and monsters, then let them hear stories about dragons and monsters and give them brave knights to fight them. Um, that like sure. scary stories are like a training ground for your moral yeah. development and everything. And I could see principal Wood being like, arguing for sheltering kids. But on the other hand, it's like, well, he's an educator and is he looking out for the best interest of his students and everything? Um, so a couple of thing responses to that yeah. um, real quick. One, that might be true. Like if Buffy's arguing for like showing them the true world, but she's doing it while lying. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> um, so there's that. Yes. But the other, the other piece of it is, um, yeah, like, like is this, is this like the quasi puritanical principle would of like, he's he's playing up the card of like protecting kids from evil, but really evil himself, like like almost mayor like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like having sort of a faux uh, morality to mm-hmm. him. Um, there could there that's one possibility. Um, the other is. 
just the way that he says um where is it uh i'm only saying that once you see true evil it can have some serious afterburn and then you can't unsee what you saw and there is like like that way that he talks about like once you see true evil like there's a sense of like he's seen it. like i have seen true mm-hmm. evil like right. and and whether i mean now maybe he really has and and knows what it's like and embraced it or maybe maybe he's good like you said like it's still ambiguous it's not clear what that necessarily means but there's also like does is his is what he's calling true evil actually true evil like maybe maybe that's ironic in that he thinks he's seen true evil but hasn't really at least not as far as buffy's concerned who really has seen you know what the first and this evil uber vamp and like like these things that could be way more terrible than anything principal woods actually ever seen so there's kind of like a couple different levels that you could read that on yeah and and i I mean i totally agree they're they're purposefully it's being played up um you know to keep you guessing but um yeah and the only other piece of data i would add in that i think kind of ties back to what i was saying the last time is his wanting Buffy to come back to work and kind of being anxious for her to get back and, and the line about um, the things are starting to back up. I, I still, I mean, I think you could definitely take that as a, he's trying to get her in the hell mouth so that she's vulnerable or like in the right position for whatever the bad, you know, the first ones to do. But my impression I think is still that like, her being there is a good thing. And so the fact that he's eager for her to come back, I take as a good thing. Um, so I'm still mm-hmm. kind of team good principle, um, kind of for that reason of like, she's been gone. She's been a little bit MIA and, you know, whether it's purely to be a counselor and help struggling kids or whether there's some fighting, you know, evil supernatural element to it, he uh wants her to return yeah. like it's important it's, that she come back um is this a little like your uh i forget how you pronounce it vizini or whatever from the princess bride uh-huh. um of like but if you know that you know it's in my cup and you know what i forget the whole thing you know it but right, um right, right. You, you know like the the triple guessing and double guessing, you know, based on, you know, there's some, you know, this idea that, you know, uh, he's this great strategist, strategist, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Anyway, so yeah, like, I feel that's like a little bit maybe what (laughs) you're doing with it. This is certainly what I'm trying to outguess the writers here. And and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're right either. But like, it's just kind of funny to to watch it in that same sort of mode when you're like, when you, when, when you know know the outcome and to see you like going back and well, you know, but it could be this, but it could be that. But if you know that it's this and the writers are trying to get you to think that it's that, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, yes. Um, With the Iocane powder. Um, yes. Right. I know. I, I shouldn't make princess bride references to you because like, I will always fail at doing them. You, that was a good reference. I hadn't 
made that connection, but that's pretty much what I'm doing. It's like playing, <laughs> playing intellectual chicken with the writers here. Because yeah. um, he's designed that way, right? Like he said, I love, oh, yeah. I love mysteries. That's like, and he's being very, um, and know, not, blunt about not, that. Yeah. not inappropriate to do so. Again, I mean, hearkening back to his name, Robin Wood, who, mm-hmm. who is an homage to a, a movie critic who would mm-hmm. do, precisely those types of things mm-hmm. so I, it's not inappropriate at all it's just kind of funny to see it like right, play right. out watching the newbie yeah. try to figure it out um, um yeah. and again like i you you may be absolutely on the nose or you may not i don't yeah. know just like we'll anthony out. head came back this episode but was it really Giles? <laughs> it was I tried to fake you out on that one. You did not even blink for an instant. I knew were, he'd be you back. Were, you were totally like, yeah, Giles will be back. Yeah, he'll be back. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Before we get to Giles, continuing with Buffy. Um, <laughs> you know, most of the really juicy stuff is with Buffy, so I think we can spend most of the time on her um sure i'm kind of lumping the stuff with the uber vamp kind of into a category but you kind of pointed out there is a succession of stages here where like we we saw the we saw it kind of get born or raised or whatever last time um and then in this episode there's sort of a stage in the beginning where it fights buffy for the first time and well, first there's the torturing Spike stuff, so we know that it's kind of sure. nasty and scary. Um, but it it meets Buffy in the tunnels when she takes Giles, you know, for their walk to look for the the lot, the Christmas tree lot where, you know, they found it the first time. Um, and she falls under the hole, and then, um, you know, under in the kind of tunnels and finds it there, and they fight, and it's sort of the first taste of how unbeatable this thing is and how all the normal tricks just don't work and have very little effect at all and she escapes including a stake in the heart right like just nothing happens um it is there right that's the first time where she stakes it and yeah like it just blinks at her and that's about it yeah Um, and it just kind of like pulls the stake out the sun is the only thing that still does have an effect and but she escapes kind of by the skin of her teeth there's like there's no beating it. It's all you can do is just get out in time and escape. Um, and then, um, so that's kind of stage one. And stage two is then they go back and talk about this and debrief. And Giles kind of gives his exposition about um, what it is. That it's this ancient race of vampire, like almost an entirely different breed. Yeah. And that doesn't really live like operate by the same rules as the vampires that we yeah. know and love yeah. um the 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 Turrican, gotcha. um is is the what he calls it i mean i they call it uber vamp a lot so like right. i don't know that the actual name of like the demon race comes mm-hmm. up much um but yeah the Turrican. um yeah he says as neanderthals are to human beings the Turrican are to vampires so there which is interesting because in one sense that's like a regression but right. like he focuses on the prim- primordial 
primordiality. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a word. Primordialness. Uh, and, and the ferocity and like, right. yeah, that it, that there's, you know, in, in the evolution to Homo sapiens, we've lost something, you know, that the Neanderthal would have had. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe technically a different race, although science has shown that there is Neanderthal DNA in human DNA. So like, maybe not, you know entirely different but you know what i mean like there's that there's this there there's something fundamentally different and you know like for example like you said this the usual tricks don't work at least most of the usual tricks don't work um can still try fire and cutting off its head but like certainly the stake didn't work so mm-hmm. you know you might want to have a couple of other backup plans uh right so there's in, maybe more experimentation to be done in terms of what actually is effective against them. Yeah. Um, so. And, and actually um, the other thing I know, I know I'm jumping ahead slightly here. Uh, crosses appear not to work because we see right. the cross from Annabelle get thrown to the ground all bloody. Right. And so right. like, presumably that didn't protect her very well. Right. Um, so. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and speaking of that, so then the kind of third stage is, is when Annabelle runs out and Buffy follows and, uh, ends up fighting the uber vamp again. Um, and this time kind of even if it's sort of shock the first time of, oh my goodness, the stake doesn't work. This time is kind of with the knowledge that nothing's going to work against this guy and like even more successive like there's a there's an interesting kind of build to the fight as it gets dirtier and dirtier and more and more painful for Buffy and like finally she drops the like ton of you know steel poles on it and yeah. even that doesn't not only does it not kill it it doesn't even do anything it like there's right. no there's hardly a bruise he kind of emerges and leaps back into action with yeah. not even a flinch um so the kind of indestructibleness of it is made very clear um but it leaves buffy alive at the end you know buries are in some rubble and but the others find her and then it kind of cuts to well drusilla saying something to spike about you know you're alive because i wish it and so it kind of seems like that line is doing a little bit of double duty there like is there a reason sure. Buffy is sort of being saved to the end here? Is the is the Uber vamp only supposed to beat her up and not kill her totally? I'm not sure. Or is it just that it assumed that she was dead and and that was as far as it goes? So I that's a great question. And I honestly I never really thought about that line doing double duty. So that's a good point, because I I think I assumed that the Turrican was assuming Buffy was dead. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like, okay, you dropped a bunch of stuff on me, but that can't kill me, but you're only human. So I drop a bunch of stuff on you and you're dead. Sure. Um, that's certainly, which is, that's certainly which, possible. Yeah. Which is sort of ironic because it's making the same exact mistake that Buffy made. Right. If so. Um, yeah. Cause then it's like, Xander and Giles and Willow, like who find her, right? Like 
Mm. And it's still nighttime out. So it's like, like the thing has gone off and maybe, maybe it is, maybe there is a, a sense of the first saying, I'm not done with you yet. Um, I don't know. Are we getting to the point where we're going to talk about the potentials yet? Because like, I feel like there is an explanation there in, in when they're talking about like the first and the potentials and it's sort of war against Mm -hmm. the potential slayers. Okay. Well, first let's, we'll do that in a sec. First, let's just go through Buffy's speech really quick and then we'll move on to Giles and the potential slayers Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, I kind of ended up writing down the whole thing just because it was this like, it builds and builds and has this arc to it where, you know, um, it starts out kind of being very hopeless and listing all the reasons why there's not a lot of hope in this situation. Um, And that this is not just evil things, but it's like the reason that there are evil things. It's the very concept of evil itself. Um, And that's when she says, I'm beyond tired. I'm beyond scared. Um, But then she says, I'm standing on the mouth of hell and it's going to, swallow me whole and it'll choke on me just a kind of fascinating flip the turn um, yeah the turn there and then from there it gets not necessarily more hopeful but more determined more it's about how we can't win but the war's starting so we're gonna fight anyway and rather than wait for the war to come to us we're gonna seek it out and if we're not ready, maybe it means that they're not ready either. And the not readiness is where the hope lies. Like the fact that like nobody's ready for this. And and it it's, it's very Lord of the Rings in that way. You know, like mm. give it to the hand of the of the weakest person and send them on the most hopeless mission. And that's hopeful because it's the exact thing that they don't expect you to do. Um, it's the like move that no smart person would ever make. And that's why it's (laughs) smart. And that's Um, why it's genius. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this, there's an aspect of that to Buffy's strategy here, which is like, because we're at our weakest and have no hope, that means this is exactly the time when we should be like striking. (laughs) Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Sorry. No, no. I, well, I was just going to say in terms of the line about it's going to, swallow me whole and it'll choke on me two things there which i thought are interesting first being the kind of like relationship to the from the beneath you it devours like the idea Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. it's following up on that like well maybe that's true but maybe that's exactly the thing which we should be using the fact that it's you know i mean we're talking almost metaphorically here but like if beneath you it devours then okay, we'll give them something to chew on and maybe it'll choke. <laughs> like, kind of turning that thing. Um, and then I had... Oh, the other thing it reminded me of is Buffy jumping off of the ledge in the gift. You know, when th- this idea of, like, there's this magical portal opening and she's the only thing that can... By diving into it, she's the only thing that can kind of stop it and close it so there's a echo there of her decision sure. to kind of be self-sacrificial and probably lose but in losing maybe she can win the war 
Maybe, maybe not. But it's about the best idea that she has is to kind of throw herself into the portal. So. Um, yeah. So the one thing that I wanted to just come back to real quick was you, you talked about, um, you know, if we're not ready, you know, they're not ready and how that, yeah, that maybe that's taking them by surprise. And that goes back to kind of what you were just saying about the double duty of I'm not done with you yet. Well, why aren't you done with Buffy yet? If, if that is, if, you know, if the first is saying that both about Spike and Buffy, mm -hmm. then there's some reason why it's not ready to kill Buffy yet. And mm -hmm. you would think that like the normal thing would be like, yeah, there's gotta be some, like, is this a, I mean, there's, you know, several Star Wars references in this episode. Is this an Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi thing? You know, if, if you kill me, I will become more, you know, I will become stronger than you can possibly imagine. Like, maybe the first knows that, you know, if it were to kill Buffy now, it would, like, rather than breaking, like, maybe it would cause some sort of, you know, coming together of the rest of them that would, mm -hmm. you know, be bad or something. I, you know, I, just just guessing here because I don't think we right. get anything. Right, you know, but there could be a strategic of, reason for holding back. But like, but there's that. I have seems to get to rid of everybody like, else before so, I take care of the Slayer. Yeah. So that almost kind of confirms, like, like if it's holding back, then there's a reason it's holding back, and it's mm -hmm. not ready to go yet. So, so yeah. So then this is the perfect time to move because we might we might not be ready, but also it's not ready, and it doesn't know that we actually are ready because we're gonna go. Like, right. Right. Um, we're more ready than than it is if we're, mm -hmm. you know at this point and and it doesn't suspect that we are yet mm -hmm. so yeah um interesting i like that yeah uh sort of reading there so yeah so okay giles yes giles Get returns back. yay, yay. <laughs> not beheaded <laughs> and and very surprising right like this is like buffy getting ready to go out and opens the door right, and just right. like there he is. Right, right. Um, oh, with three new people. Yes. Right. Three potential slayers and more on the way, it sounds like. So yes. he's been sort of out there recruiting and contacting those who are still, you know, still alive. And, you know, none of them, none of these three have watchers with them. So there are still slayers out there who's, who are maybe being pursued but haven't been caught yet, but maybe their watchers have been taken out. Um, yeah, and well, we and know, that's the and presumption. he confirms, well, right, one of them says something about, I saw what they did to my yeah. watcher. So at least, but I maybe think, some I have think it's them and Molly. some don't. Okay. I'm not, uh, I'd have to. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and Giles confirms what we saw last time, which is that the headquarters got, got blowed up. So um, they're they're kind of and and he didn't do it much no. to Anya's chagrin. <laughs> this is what happens when you're stuffy and repressed. Um, uh, right. So yeah, they're kind of there might be some one some watchers stra straggling around out there, but there's no new ones coming out of the headquarters and all of their apart from the books that Giles stole. 
there's no more resources that they can provide. Um, so all of their lore and wisdom kind of got exploded with them. But, yeah. but good old Giles, he at least like Which grabbed is, a couple of good tomes and stuck them in a backpack, you know. I mean, that was probably the first point. Like, it might even be that, like, the first was trying to get rid of the information more than the people. Yeah. Right, because, right. like, how much help were the Watchers to begin with? At least in their, sure. in their council state. You right. know, individual Watchers can be very helpful, but as a right. bureaucracy, they were kind of ineffective but yeah so maybe it's more the information hub that was sort of being targeted there um yeah so um in terms of everything else with giles i mean we kind of alluded to it a couple times i don't think there's too much more detail but just he brings his good sense and his wisdom with him and you know that's not to say he never gives bad advice like you were kind of saying like some of his things that he's saying sound like the things that the Joyce ghost was saying. So we could question the, the wisdom there about resting and taking a break and all that kind of thing. Um, but like he's, it, it, this is a big enough problem that he's moved on from his, you need to figure things out on your own stage. Mm. And he's, not telling Buffy what to do, but back to offer support and guidance and everything. Yeah. Um, and then he tells her at the end, they're depending on you. That's not exactly what I needed to hear. Like, yes, we know, Giles, we know. <laughs> um, yep. So, okay, the, the three slayers that he brings. Well, well hold, hold oh, on. Yeah. Hold yeah. on. So, so this is where I want to talk about, like, this might be... Oh, yeah, yeah. The reasoning um, why they don't kill Buffy yet is, I, I mean, this ties into the, the three potentials, right? But, um, you know, Don asks, you know, are, they're all slayers, and he says they're potential, waiting to be recalled. Um, there are many more like them all over the world, but now there's just a handful, and they're all on their way to Sunnydale. And then Buffy says the others were murdered. And he gets, yes, in cold blood, as well as their watchers. We always feared this day would come. So this is more sort of patriarchal hold, with, withholding told to Buffy, yeah. of information, which Giles is in on it too, yep. right? Like he can't be wholly blameless there. But mm -hmm. um, when there'd be an attack, not just uh, against just an individual slayer, but against the whole line. And then um, you know, says... Uh, you know, it's what the first wants to erase all the slayers in training and their watchers along with their methods. And then Buffy goes, and then Faith, and then me. So there's a, I mean, we've talked before about the slayer line. Like Buffy has already died and triggered Faith. And then, you know, when Buffy dies again, it doesn't trigger more because like Faith is now the active slayer. Mm -hmm. At least this is kind of like how it pretty much gets retconned by most fans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know that there's ever like this clearly elucidated in like canon, but like Buffy dies, uh, sorry, Buffy dies, triggers Kendra. Kendra yeah. right. dies, triggers, triggers Faith, Faith. And Faith is the active slayer. So, I mean, maybe killing Buffy isn't necessarily going to trigger another thing, 
but like the first might also not know that right mm-hmm. like the first might not know that if i kill buffy then one of these potentials will get triggered and then you just have another slayer to deal with right so but if you kill all the potentials who are weaker they don't have the slayer strength and then you take out the two active slayers yeah then that doesn't leave any potentials to become Slayer right, right. so it actually doesn't so, matter what so, order you go in right so so waiting to not kill buffy now but wait till you kill all the weaker ones first and then kill buffy mm-hmm. could the only flaw i see in that reasoning is that what if like there could potentially be more slayer potentials born but then they would be like so young maybe that like it, you know they would still be babies or toddlers and mm-hmm. you know it wouldn't take much to like kill them but like right um could you imagine like a terrible two-year-old with like slayer strength um (laughs) like that that would not be fun for the parents um but yeah uh but yeah no i that's the one thing i could see about you know if if that's sort of uh, uh, other than the Khan just thinking that it did kill buffy and, mm-hmm. you know, not just, like, being, you know, a stupid movie move and, like, not really checking to make sure she's actually dead. Yeah. Um, that would be the reason why, like, to intentionally leave her alive. Right. But, like, very weak and beat up. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and that line seems a little too conspicuous to me of of kind of the, the edit from... Buffy to Spike and and yeah. the first kind of saying you know this is all part of my plan whatever it says like but you, but as alive, I said I never you, picked up on it before so <laughs> if you're alive it's because I wish it and so like yeah I, I it seems deliberate to me and that makes sense yeah. that like there is a succession here and that there's a reason why it's going about things in the way that it that it is yeah so um yeah, yeah I mean I, think- I like that theory. I think you're right that the deliberate reading makes more sense. Like that now that you point it out to me, it seems like, Oh yeah. How could I have missed that? Even though I did. Well, sometimes it takes a fresh pair of ears yeah. to pick up yeah. on these things, these subtleties. Um, uh, thank <laughs> you. That's a very generous. Uh, it's like yeah. when uh, you're trying to do something and it doesn't work. And then you get that one person to just come in and it works magically. It's like, yeah. The way it happens. And then you're every like, time. why can't, why didn't I see that? Like every time anybody in my office uses a copy machine, doesn't matter how many times you do it, but it's that one person who comes in and does it one time and it works. Um, it's the rule. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, I like that theory. So, as for the individual slayers themselves we don't get a ton we get little things um Mm, the potentials you mean yep yes um so two of them are you know are from england you know come over with giles molly being very kind of like earthy and cockney and kind of you know blunt about the way she just you know oh bit of a mess like, just kind of, you know, not in a mean way, but just sort of tells it like it is. Um, and Annabelle has more of the stuffy, repressed side of, you know, that that type of English reserve. Um, and is telling the others to 
be quiet and to be serious and to listen and, you know, do what they're told and pay attention and all that kind of thing. Um, and, and kind of that's in a way what kind of gets her killed in the end. Like, so she's the one who's saying throughout that they're going to be fine, that they just need to sit tight and do what Buffy tells them and, and not worry about things. And yet she's the one that panics and, you know, flees the house, which is a dumb move. Um, but maybe you kind of get the sense that it's part of the, part of the reason that she panics is that she's so focused on, you know, her fear and like, Mm -hmm. at least whereas the others, maybe they're more open about their fears, but there's a kind of honesty to that. Um, and whereas Annabelle kind of wants to pretend like she's fine and everything's fine and they're going to be fine and all that. And she's the one that kind of can't handle it in the end and ends up, you know, making a break for it. Um, yeah. So, and then Kennedy. Um, yeah. I. The only thing I would add to that is just that yeah. like, it seems like maybe the trigger is like realizing that like Buffy can't actually keep them safe. Right. Right. Like, and, and I mean, there's a sense in which sort of Buffy kind of contributes to that in a way Mm -hmm. of not wanting to coddle them. Right. Like Giles, Giles kind of is like, shouldn't we talk about this somewhere else? And, and Buffy is like, what, you know, not, you know, you mean not in front of the next generation? Like, they have a right to know what they're up against. But it's kind of like right. learning that Buffy wasn't able to kill this Uber vamp and, you know, isn't sort of really familiar with all that the first is and what it can do. And like, you know, all this, like those are the things that seem to be what Annabelle yeah. picks up on. Like, and I think, I mean, I, I, I like all of that, I think ties into what you were saying like mm-hmm. not to refute it but to to agree with it to say like then you know that like makes her repression or or her sort of like you know whether whether it's real or sort of a, a faux you know chin up you know mm-hmm. keep on keeping on you know uh attitude realizing that like that's all sort of like not going to happen <laughs> the mm. way that she hoped it would. And, and, and then it just kind of breaks her down. Whereas the others, like you said, like, like Kennedy's like, she's like, I don't see how one person, even a slayer can protect us. So like, don't you think we should have some weapons? Cause that will help with the fear. <laughs> like, mm. like if we can protect our, you know, help in the protection, like that will make me feel a lot better. And, um, Molly is like, well, I I think I'm ready. Like, you know, maybe I'm not, but like, yeah, I'm willing to give it a try at least. And Annabelle is kind of the one that wants to like hold back and like wait until, you know, Mm -hmm. Buffy gives them orders or whatever. Like, right. So, yeah. Right. And like Kennedy definitely contributes to the sense of fear too. like of, you know, Annabelle saying, you know, we're safe as houses and Kennedy saying, you see the house we're in? Like, she's kind of telling her, like, you're not scared enough. Um, But then on the other hand, that honesty is kind of what gives her 
some protection too, like you said, of, okay, like we should be clear about what the situation is and then we can address it. And then if we're not safe, well, then we'll use weapons or, you know, we can't just rely on Buffy to take care of us and do all the fighting for us. We have to be ready to sort of defend ourselves. Um, so her kind of openness in that way, I think kind of gives her a little bit more courage than, mm. than Annabelle's sort of wanting to hide away from the reality of their situation. Um, the only other thing with Kennedy is a little, little flirty with Willow there for a minute, you know, like, uh, she kind of rearranges some yeah, of the sleeping and, assignments and, uh, and, you know. and a little manipulative too. Right. Like, I mean, right. Like you get the sense that that's why, like, like once that right. comes she out, she wants to get in that room. Yeah. Right. She's, she's trying to facilitate right. the sleeping arrangements in, in her favor. Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Giles brings three potentials, one of them dies, um, but as we hear, more are on the way, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, we'll get, a, we'll get a chance to learn a little bit more just kind of about them as a group and, and about mm -hmm. individual ones, uh, as well. Yep. All right. Well, to go quickly through, we're kind of about at the hour but just to kind of finish up with the last few things um one major episode with willow um is her you know kind of accidentally she's not trying to do magic right she's like at her computer kind of no she's there do, she's doing a locator spell oh is she okay i yes. missed that then okay yeah for some reason i thought she was just sort of in the room while the others like while anya was preparing the spell and everything um yeah, no, Buffy Buffy says uh, uh, Dawn was like looking up something about the seal and Will's about to do a locator spell to see if they can find okay. the and first. I, I totally missed that. But in any um, case, in any case, it goes a bit haywire. Yeah, um, a bit. And it like blasts everybody across the room and kind of possesses Willow for a minute. Um, and she yeah. she kind of freaks out about her the the panic of what she might do and the fear of not wanting to hurt anybody sort of comes out of her um and then everything after that is like apologizing to to Buffy for this fact like as though it's something she can have full control over yeah. um it doesn't Which matter is... that it's not really her fault she feels responsible and and this kind of inhibits her ability to contribute which is frustrating um yeah. so the you know pulling the screen back a little i mentioned last week that like the writers tried to continue mm, finding right. ways to like not have like the great and powerful willow be right. like at the center of everything so this is one of the things that they do right is like give her give her sort of a bad right. magical relapse or whatever you want to call it and, you know, make her scared to do magic Right, is one right. way to keep her kind of out of the game when, right. when things she's come motivated along. to, to be cautious and yeah. 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 Which I think that makes sense. That doesn't. Yeah. 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 
that doesn't feel contrived if we want to use like even though it is contrived it doesn't feel it it has the there's a truth yeah. there of like that makes perfect sense to me that she yeah. um well has had these bad experiences and is so afraid of what she's capable of that you know any any hint that she might go back there is absolutely terrifying and the one thing that like this is the one thing we learn i guess kind of about well i guess technically technically it we never learn that it is the first who sort of possesses willow there for a minute mm. but that seems to be the implication mm. at least to me i did you have a different one so maybe i shouldn't prejudice um, you in it that didn't way. really i didn't really determine in my own mind what it was it seemed kind of an accident and you know like it could have been anything um but definitely that makes sense um, i mean that you know she's trying to do a locator spell for the first mm -hmm. and then like while possessed willow says you only make me stronger so that to right. me implies right. the first is talking through her but there's also but there's a physical aspect to it of mm -hmm. willow doing like emperor from return of the jedi with the lightning bolt thing mm -hmm. right like and knocking buffy down which is like the only like physical thing that we've seen the first do and in fact we get yeah i mean it's through the possession of willow right like so these are things that we're not told that the first is capable of but seems mm -hmm. to be in this instance anyway you know maybe because it's someone invoking it rather than like maybe it couldn't just inhabit anyone it wanted to but like right since willow's trying to do this spell maybe there's some kind of way it's opening mm -hmm. you know right you know herself up to being possessed um but as far as the first goes like we do learn some stuff about it here but mm -hmm. you know it's not corporeal and it can't touch or fight on its own. It works through those. It manipulates. Um, and that. So, right. Right. Um, right. Which, so to kind of switch over to that, that's why it has the Uber vamp doing the, the dirty work for it. Like, right. you know, torturing spike and everything. It needs minions um, as many villains do, but, this more so because it can't like, physically do anything itself. Just like Harmony. Has yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, the stuff with Spike is like, I, you know, mostly kind of trying to get information, but kind of just like weakening him, just like putting him kind of through hell and through the ringer uh, to, to make its point. It, and, kicking a dolly when it's down. Right. Right. Um, I, I miss Drew. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to have her and, around. And so, yeah, like, because it's interesting because, like, I mean, obviously, same actress here. And mm -hmm. you have, uh, you know, very Drew-esque stuff here. But, like, there is some subtle things here where it's like, it, it is kind of not drew Right. Like either. So like you get right. I mean you get Spike saying it. She like was you're, crazier than you. Yeah. You're you're not Drew and and the first going, I'm I'm really not. But yeah, there is like there's just some like like definitely like a good 
you know, uh, attempt at Drewness, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, just kind of like a little, a little more purposeful. Maybe is the yeah, problem. It's a little like, too, it's a little too focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, well, that like I think that's written well. So talk about contriving, right? Like you're right. you're contriving the first contriving to be Drew. <laughs> um but i think it's really done well whereas like it, it gives you that sense of like almost drew but not quite right and and right spike is clearly picking up on that right um and and unlike before like now seems able to resist kind of the will of the first mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah i i don't i mean i don't have any more than that but Right. And is that because it's declared itself a little more like is, you know, is it is it not attempting to like kind of possess him in that way? It's, you know, maybe it's switching over to wanting him to be on its side intentionally rather than kind of being coerced or maybe because it's now kind of presented itself. Maybe it doesn't have that same influence that it used to have. It's, you know. That's not really spelled out. Maybe we'll get more for, more of that later. But um, mm. but anyway, yes, Spike is resisting now, and Buffy believes in him. So that's his. You know, he's another character that has to be getting pretty tired, but that's his his motivation is he can he can be good because Buffy says so. Um. So. Um, okay. I don't really have a lot for Dawn and Xander and Anya. Um, little lines here or there, yeah. but and not a lot of, like, character stuff so much. Um. Yeah, they have a few throwaway things. I mean, the, you know, um, Dawn's, like, fascination with, like, beating up Andrew is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, her and, and Anya throwing water on him, then, like, saying he drooled a lot like right like how we can find the most unpleasant way to wake him up you know like yeah yeah. um i mean yeah there's some funny stuff there and and xander joking in the face of death kind of Mm -hmm. whatever um yeah i don't i don't think there's a ton there some you know later relief moments but yeah andrew plays the lighter relief stuff kind of yeah. Here, here yeah. on out. Right. For as long as he lasts, anyway. I'll, I'll say it that way. Sure. Right. The council knows no other way. And it costs them their lives. And just kind of looks at him like, dude. Pick your moments. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't know if I have any other big points unless you think I missed something. No, I think we're good. I think we should probably move on to uh, BSG, where we'll yeah. talk about maybe some of the same themes. Yes, more more depression and uh, tiredness. You know, and... tiredness. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Um. You had a couple of production notes. I did, and it would be good if I had pulled them up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right 
try to be really quick here. Um, so we kind of mentioned last time that this is the start of the second half of the season, aired in January 2009. Um, I didn't mention last time that it was Revelations was written by um, Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, like those great workhorses, and uh, they wrote this episode as well. So it kind of was written together, like, in, in a way, kind of as a two-parter, I guess, like leaving mm-hmm. off of the cliffhanger and picking back up. So um, kind of bridges the gap that way um and um there's no theme song this time um you know they kind of I don't know if that's a purely time decision but it sort of launches straight into the action with no opening credits um which kind of affects it in a way like kind of going through the second time realizing like you don't have the epic quest of the the opening that you normally get of like this is how many survivors and they're setting off into the stars it's just like no we're just kind of here on this planet and not really sure what to do now like do we stay do we go it Mm. doesn't i think by not having the opening song even unintentionally it kind of reinforces that um sure and then all right the other thing i wanted to mention was the the title being a an homage to uh it's actually a folk song that but the the famous use of the title is from a novel by ken kesey who wrote one flew over the cuckoo's nest um so he also wrote a book called sometimes a great notion which is a favorite of of weddles the writer um and so that book takes its title from a folk song an american folk song called goodnight irene and the the lyric goes, sometimes I lives in the country, sometimes I lives in the town, sometimes I take a great notion to jump in the river and drown. So oh, kind of okay. picking up on subtly introducing this theme of tiredness and rivers and suicide and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And in this, in the novel, I think there's some allusion to this idea of, of, of the story of the foxes that Adama tells. Um, but it also reminded David Weddle, the writer, of things he'd seen like growing up on a farm of of deer and other animals being found offshore, like swimming in the ocean and like, you know, maybe they were wounded by a car or by another animal and people like fishermen would just sort of find them, you know, yeah. off the shore. So this is a real phenomenon, it seems, that happens. Um and nobody quite knows why they do it, but they do it. Um Okay, and then last little production note, um, the little tune that Dee hums was something that they came up with kind of on set. It wasn't necessarily scripted, um, but it's another example of them using that in the score. Then Bear McCreary had her record her voice. So when Adam is in the morgue and kind of crying over her over her body there's a you know a voice that hums over the scene and it's Candace McClure so there's this sort of ghostly voice that haunts you know the the scene after that um yeah so some little subtle little things in this episode that I think kind of contribute to the overall sense of hopelessness (laughs) yeah um yeah interesting so um picking up in particular from like that like the lack of the opening 
um, you know, stuff going on there and kind of the where do we go from here um, attitude. Like I did want to start with that, with the situation. I just noticed you picked up my nomenclature of Earth That Was. <laughs> I picked that up um, from your notes last time. Yeah. yeah. So I wish I, I didn't bring up. I wanted to bring it up because um, of the Whedon connection there of Firefly and, and Serenity, um, you know, referring to Earth That Was. Uh, and and this seems as good of an Earth That Was as mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just, okay, so... We saw, you know, the end of the last episode was kind of the the lost shot of like the shock and confusion and the sort of individual reactions to what's going on. Um, but here we kind of start off with some of the explanation of like, oh, hey, the water is radioactive, as is like the earth and right. you know food chain and everything. So um definitely something but like apparently long enough ago like again who like like didn't they test that before they like exited their ship like it must be such low levels that like right they couldn't because i i find it hard to believe that they wouldn't have tested for that kind of thing sure beforehand um but anyway like regardless uh right it's it's not enough to hurt them being there for like a couple hours or a couple days, but enough that they couldn't live there. Like right. that's kind of the main point is like right they can't they have like to take away Earth, this Earth as an option for a place to settle. Right. Um. Yeah. So um, and you get like Baltard being more scientist than uh. Mm-hmm you know, Scientologist, I guess, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, getting back to sort of his sciencey roots and, um, you know, doing the testing for the radiation and stuff, um, you know, looking at the remains and finding out through apparent, yeah, I guess, DNA analysis that, um, earth that was, was, uh, inhabited by Cylon. And not just, like, some, but, like, apparently all of them. I mean, we don't know how many actual remains they discovered. Like, we know that there were scouts sent all over the planet. So, presumably, maybe they brought back remains from, like, different sites and stuff, too. Like, so it's not just all from this one place. But hard to say. Um, Right. So, yeah, you kind of get, like, these revelations just about, like, what Earth was. and and that the 13th colony was made up of Cylons and that um, they're kind of, well, and that it's uninhabitable. And and so there's kind of, it's, there's kind of a bit of a pylon, right? Mm-hmm. Like just kind of one thing after another to give people despair. And then you get um, like the more personal note of D finding like the jacks, mm-hmm. right? In the sand and, uh, or at least some kids game that looks remarkably like Jack's. Right. Um, and uh, sort of her reaction in mm-hmm. the Raptor on the way back of, of the crying is that we'll get to D more specifically later, but just kind of, again, all of the individual situations that mm-hmm. 
you know, or, or, you know, the overall situation, but all the, also, you know, um, I didn't notice till the second time around, um, you get the, the circular thing of Ty at the beginning and the end looking, standing mm. on the shore, looking out into right. the water, which of course, by the end has a much greater significance when he's wading out into it. And, and you're thinking of the story, like you just referenced of, of the foxes, swimming out you know or or allowing the tide to take them out into water right. where they can't survive anymore and so you kind of get you get that um foreshadowing right at the beginning which mm-hmm. i d- didn't pick up on until the second time through kind of for obvious reasons um so right anyway right and uh, that connects to d too even though she doesn't wait out she's at the water kind of you know, picking right. water right. You almost and looking think... in. So there's a subtle little connection of her there with Ty and the water and all that. Yeah. And and there's that moment of, like, hearing Baltar, like, nobody should drink the water. And then seeing Dee, like, cupping her cupping hands the water, in the water. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you're almost like, is she going to drink it? Right. No, she's only, like, bathing in the radiated water. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Much uh, safer. But, right. But water as a a kind of little motif of of death and and, and suicide or kind of right giving as up a, you know as a as opposed to water as life right like i mean mm-hmm. kind of the thing that they really need for a sustainable you know colonization is water they can use to live off of mm-hmm. and and here it's it's just the opposite it's a thing that you know brings death and and destruction right um so anyway so that's that's the situation they're up against um i kind of so similar to what you did i kind of want to i would rather move kind of through by character than um Mm -hmm. plot and and i'm gonna switch it around like i think we're gonna go faster early on or i hope we are because we're going to talk a lot about d <laughs> we, and so we cannot shortchange d so, so we definitely we um you know can go through some of these early because i honestly like i don't know that there's a ton to say about adama um mm-hmm. there does seem to be sort of a progressiveness to his own like it's not like like d finds <laughs> i said we're going to talk about d i'm already talking about d um defines the jacks right and like has an immediate breakdown and that's all well and good um adama is his more level-headed self but progressively sort of breaks down over the episode with Mm -hmm. different things so like um it's out of order, but I want to talk about him and Ty sort of first, because there is that, like, you know, there's the revelation from Baltar about the Cylon stuff. And Ty is like, we need to talk, you know, I'd like to explain some things to you. And Adama, like, just basically ignores him, mm-hmm. you know, right off. Um, but then there's, like, all the other stuff that happens. And, you know, stuff with Roslyn, stuff with D and then Adama goes like charging after Ty and is like, all right, now it's time to have that talk. Mm-hmm. Um, after demanding a sidearm from like a rando, right. uh, you know, right. uh, 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 Marine there walking past like 
the ongoing destruction and not destruction, but like what what would you call it? break the breakdown of like yeah. chain of command? Like there's literally two guys fist fighting in the middle. Right. And he just walks right past them, right? And people like sitting in a pile crying and people just staring into space yeah. and the big frack earth graffiti is great right. like as he turns a corner and that's like that's everybody's attitude in this episode right. is frack earth. and um, and his complete tunnel vision to all of that right and, he and just marches not on carrying yeah. Yeah. not caring what's going on um right which like you're kind of right that it he starts out somewhat aware and somewhat like he might be able to handle it like about um we got to do something morale's going down the toilet is what he says so like there is an awareness at the beginning of like okay yeah. this is a bad situation i'm i'm recognizing right. this i have to do something about it but it's once everyone else starts to break down is when he starts like it's really roslyn and d who kind of get to him and then his own breakdown sort of yeah begins so anyway so then he goes then he's ready for his talk with with ty right. to like finally have um, their, their chat yeah and actually i mean right when he says that more you know morale is starting to break down like the the unstated thing is like including my own right like sure that's i mean and maybe he doesn't recognize it and and we don't either necessarily at that point in the episode mm -hmm. um like you said so yeah, I mean, convers like, not to put too fine a point on it, but, like, the conversation with Ty is, you know, somewhat suicidal. Like, that's kind of the conclusion that Ty comes to anyway, is, is that Adama isn't there to shoot Ty, but to get Ty to shoot him. Mm -hmm. um, and that, yeah, I mean, obviously he's drunk at that point and clearly upset. Um, having just come from Dee's, from the morgue and seeing Dee's body, um, and saying, you know, I failed you, um, and, you know, I mean, he does it by goading Ty every way he can, you know, mm -hmm. calling him a Cylon, talking about Ellen, mm -hmm. you know, in the most ungracious way possible, and mm -hmm. sort of. I mean, and not even that it's, you know, this goes back to the idea like we we're talking about in Buffy of like, not even that it was necessarily lies, but certainly like, you know, Ellen's infidelities are not unknown to Ty. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's the way that he brings it up and, and the way he, you know, the way Adama, you know, sort of dangles it out there for Ty to latch on to and, and, you know, trying to get him to shoot him but um and and even you know questioning his friendship like you know he says like um i, I didn't write down the exact quote but you know is that how it works you know did did they like program you to exhibit all of the qualities that i admire which, <laughs> which is my like the funniest line yeah my my response to that is both like, times was like oh what no. exactly qualities in tie do you admire like it's hysterical. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that. Oh, man. He has such a tie shaped hole <laughs> yeah. in his heart. You yeah. know, like it's terrible, Bill. Come on. 
Well, um, and, and, and also, I, get the, I get the program you to be my friend thing that like you're questioning your whole relationship and everything. But like, yeah, like, come on. Ty is not an admirable person. Yeah. Well, but it so the question becomes there, like if if we if we're taking that seriously, mm-hmm. which maybe it seems like neither of us do 100 percent. But like if, if we try to take it seriously anyway, yeah. like there is a sense maybe where you could say like actually there i don't know i still think i I still far cry from calling it admirable but at least that at least that like adama and ty seem like the way that adama's acting in this episode seems like maybe they're not as far apart as like other times in the series it it might seem like they are like mm-hmm. personality wise like mm-hmm. w- we've seen adama get more and more into the bottle yeah than you know right. in in right. this last season or so right you know, and when ty's telling before. you you've had enough you you know you maybe you've had enough like, and literally ty was drinking right before adama walked in right and ty accuses him of being ahead of the game so like right. like when that's the case yeah like maybe so so there is a sense in which maybe maybe like okay so adama doesn't like delineate what exactly the qualities are which he finds admirable but Mm -hmm. maybe maybe there is something there like despite being a raving lunatic drunk you still somehow always seem to function and make Mm -hmm fairly decent decisions most of the time (laughs) like like maybe that's something along those lines that would be like the admirable quality like maybe it's not you know something that we as individuals like or or as a collective sort of you know group of people watching the show would necessarily call admirable but maybe there's something there that that adama recognizes and ties high functioning alcoholic stupor that he doesn't have himself and so maybe that's admirable i don't know i i'm certainly fumbling because i like i kind of only less than half believe what i'm even saying here Mm -hmm. but like trying to at least give like a semblance of yeah possibility that there's there's something there to latch on to well and there is something there of of i think maybe the immediate aftermath of new caprica being the exception maybe ty is better at keeping on through these kinds of terrible disappointments better than adama is like we have Mm -hmm. seen dama fall apart more often like these things get to him in a more personal way i mean here again we have him kind of starting to lose it and it's ty that's sort of being the the rock and the and he can't keep himself out of the bottle but he can tell adama when he's had too much and okay we're done and we're gonna put this away and maybe it's just that function of being the guy that's always there for you and like it's not even necessarily that ty says or does the right thing it's that consistency of his presence and his support and and, you know um you know so maybe that's the or his ability to function in these kinds of horrifically awful situations, like you said, um, which is certainly at this point the thing that Adama probably envies more than anything else. 
um, is how do you how do you go on from here? How do you keep fighting? And it's Ty saying, well, you have to because you're like in charge. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have that option as the leaders. Right. That option is not given to us that it doesn't help D and it doesn't help the others who are worried about our future if we just give up. Yeah. So, um, Right. Like if you fail D, then how much more would you fail all the other people who feel like committing mm -hmm. suicide right now? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and are are basically only looking to you to see how you respond. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's something there. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly sort of an eye roll of a line. Um, all Which all. I, and I can forgive to the extent that like there are people have those blind spots for their friends and their mm -hmm. you know family and people they've known for a long time you know it's not the first time that people would put others on a pedestal that from the outside can look you know a little bit ridiculous i mean this is this is that's quite a pedestal for ty to be on but um <laughs> sure but it's you like know pole sitting up i mean there. but like yeah favoritism is a very consistent part of adama's character you know the the fact that certain sure. people get away with murder and others not so much so um he is nothing if not consistent on that point and ty is consistently in the favorites group the, so. yeah he's he's probably the biggest beneficiary of that yeah policy. yeah absolutely yeah so you know there's there's that i think we can call it a serious flaw but a consistent one in uh, adama's character but um so yeah so i mean and then right so they the the irony right of course is that ty says this is the one time i can't help you like i would do anything for you except for this you know mm -hmm. Um, I would do anything for Adama's love, but I won't do that. Um, so that turns into Adama realizes like, and, and I mean, and Adama's not going to kill himself. Like everybody knows that, including himself. So mm -hmm. um, sort of faced with that realization, it turns into the parable of the foxes and um you know, you get that story and, and it, you know, like you said, it kind of permeates the rest of like the tiredness and the, and the motifs that we see, mm -hmm. um, throughout the show, um, including with Rosalind, even before we get mm -hmm. to the story, like, so that's why I kind of wanted to start there is actually to get through that and to mm -hmm. that story so that we can talk about it with like the rest of the people. Cause you know, backtracking a bit to Rosalind, um, you know, obviously on the planet, like they're all sort of shocked and, and wondering, but with her, I mean, you really see it first when they land on the hangar deck and there's all the people there mm -hmm. just staring at her and not staring, like not only staring, but like staring expectantly, like just waiting mm -hmm. for some declaration. Um, and obviously like a hopeful one, right? Uh, we're here, we've made it, we've reached our goal, we've completed the task, we've achieved what no one thought we could, and all of those things. And 
instead she just sort of quietly turns to Adama and, and says, get me out of here. Like, mm-hmm. which just becomes an eruption. Like, that's the, the this fight we see later, like, has been going on for hours because it started then. <laughs> Right, like it, it right. like it started in that crowd. Whatever, whatever those two people are fighting about, right. it's right. it's because of Rosalind's refusal the root, the to say anything yeah. to address yeah. the crowd. Um, right, yeah, and and you get like you get is it is it it's Lee right who's kind of like the president will make a statement later, right. like right. you know trying to like uphold appearance and right. Rosalind doesn't care at that point, and Adam is just yeah. trying to get her out of there and. Right. Um, and even the way like they get glossed like in the crowd like they can't it's not even like they make a quick exit and run out the yeah. door it's well because like, there's no preparation for it get through and she gets turned around and they have to find a way through the crowd and it's also it's not just that she doesn't give them information it's that it's so obvious that she's not giving them information yeah. you know like so they know yep. you're deliberately not giving us an update even if it's a bad one you know you're just it's so painfully obvious um yep yeah um so yeah so a little bit later then we see her of course in a room burning page by page the prophecy of pythia right so we're i guess we're beyond the point where books are precious commodities yeah uh, right right like i hope there's another copy especially like ancient prophecies yeah um which i guess in fairness like what do they need it for they found earth like it's not like it's gonna do any more good at this point right um yeah i mean very very sort of zen and surreal calm you know and Adama comes in, and at this point, like he still seems to be fighting the good fight, so to speak, right? Like this is he's coming in, like trying to figure out what she's doing, asking why, uh, you know, she stopped her relaxing treatments, and you know, just trying to trying to get her to sort of like out of her funk and mm-hmm. and caring about things again. Um, and it seems to me like, I mean, I mean, Dee's suicide later is is like a bigger sort of push, I guess. But like, mm-hmm. like this is the first one, like seeing the complete despair and and the acknowledgement of you should not have listened to me. You should have stayed to fight, which which would have itself been suicide. Mm-hmm. Like we know because mm-hmm. everybody who fought against the Cylons lost. Right. And so to say that, like to Adama, like you should have stayed and died, like that would have been better than this now. Right. Um, right. Especially after sort of their their recent kindling, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak, of, of their love, like is right. got to be, you know, disheartening right. uh, on right. his part. So, um you know, but he, you know, he tries, he tries a few things, tries to kind of get, pull her out and she's not having, you know, are you going to start up again with your treatments? Nope. But you have to take your treatment. No, I don't. Yeah. Like, like almost very childish in mm-hmm. that way. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't have to do this. And it's like, well, I, technically she doesn't, but she's also going to die like that. Actually, again, like 
now that I think about it, like that's another basically a suicide, mm -hmm. you know, a refusal to, to treat your cancer. I mean, right. And that, uh, that consistent idea of suicide by like inertia, giving up. by like not even actively doing anything, but by letting nature yeah. take its course or letting fate happen to you rather than fighting for something. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that seems to be what sort of sets him on his own downward trajectory um, more mm. than anything else, just mm -hmm. seeing the sort of despair and hopelessness. Because she, you know, he was the, the practical, you know, mm. uh, side of finding Earth with, you know, using the military equipment and technology and everything. Um, she was always sort of the spiritual and, you know, uh, I guess spiritual leader of that effort, right? Like that was her, it was her sort of will and willpower that kind of led them on to do that. And the clear loss of will here mm -hmm. does quite a bit to, right. to shake him, it seems like to me. Right. And it's like, you can both be shocked and depressed and, and hopeless. But if you have a partner in that, if they could do it together, you mm -hmm. have a sense that he's, he's as upset as anybody, but he's kind of looking to like, all right, what's the plan? Let's work on something. Mm -hmm. If she refuses, that makes his ability to hold the fleet together by himself, very doubtful. You know, it's like, one person can't really do that on their own. There needs to be some sort of sense of at least from the two of us that we're in this together. Um, and she kind of completely like denies that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So while he's kind of making a somewhat half-assed, but about as sincere as he can feel speech at the end about, promises in the future she's just sort of lying in a pile on the floor you know kind of listening to the radio maybe if she's even listening to him talk I don't even know that she is and maybe it's just a voiceover playing over her um not participating at all and for different reasons but I feel like it kind of connects to this growing thing in her of not talking to the people, not mm -hmm. communicating to the quorum, not communicating to the fleet, yep. um, keeping her thoughts and her despair to herself. And she used to do it for kind of, you know, reasons of control and, and wanting to keep secrets to herself. Now it's a kind of, it's more that inertia of she can barely function herself, let alone be expected to run a government. So it's a sort of extension of that mm -hmm. idea. Um, so the other, uh, yeah, so, well, I mean, all right. So we talked about Adama quite a bit and more than like I wanted to spend on him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I so 
we'll get to Lee later too, but it's kind of Lee who then, I mean, he, he kind of pulls out with Ty, but like, there's also like, like Lee's refusal to get drunk with him, but then also kind of like, yeah, we need to like get going here. Like we need to figure something out. Um, and it's Lee who takes on a lot of that um, before D like with mm-hmm. addressing the quorum and kind of taking on kind of both their leadership roles, but mm-hmm. like in different, you know, sorts of ways um, and, and kind of trying to press on. Yeah. Um, he does become the, the one that helps everyone kind of move past the funk that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but we can talk about him in a little bit. Um, before going to them, want a quick touch on the Cylons on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, long story short, we get the penultimate four kind of eat, all had their revelations about having lived here mm-hmm. before, and presumably, like, were there when the nuclear winter, Holocaust, mm-hmm. whatever apocalypse, bring it on, came. Um, like. Not just that, but like Tyrrell found the exact spot where he, you know, where his ashes were blown against the, you know, uh, cinder block wall. That's such a dark little moment when he points at the like stain on the wall. He's like, that was me. It, uh, so it reminds me of, um, the Ray Bradbury story, There Will Come Soft Rains, Uh um, you know, of like the imagery of like, was it like children playing ball or something in the right. yard that's right. like emblazoned on the side right. of the home? Right. Um, yeah. Right. And the despair of, is that what it all comes to? Like, is that like that, that was the culmination of a previous life was blown to smithereens in a marketplace, you know, like that, like that's a very nihilistic kind of revelation for him to have. Um, yeah. Well, and also, like, if we have this mantra of this has all happened before and it'll right. all happen again, like, what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> like, that's a very dark place to go to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the end. Um, but yeah, and so, I mean, you get the hearing of the music and Sam, like, Sam, artsy-fartsy, sporty Sam. <laughs> he does it all. Yeah, Uh being the one to have he Sam was like the Bob Dylan of the Cylon Earth, right? right. Like, right. Uh, he used to play that song. Um, which so he, he says to the woman I loved, and then Tori's like, I remember. So mm-hmm. is that like implying a thing there? Right. And then she's like, Oh, you played it for all of us, but like I have the same thought. Like, hmm, you remember, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I like I don't like there's not enough to go off of there, but uh just kind of had that mm-hmm. thing that had that wonder. So um sorry. Uh and then you have Ty's revelation, which yeah. doesn't come at the same time as the others, but is at the end. And it's that it's after all of these like depressing things have happened and the conversation with Adama about the foxes and going out into the ocean and drowning just carry you you away and you get ty staring out over the water and slowly walking into it 
Um, oh, and also after talking to Deanna, who says she's staying behind. Right. Because, you know, why not? And. Right. Yeah, so there is that thing. I mean, again, knowledge of having watched this before, like, I know Ty is not going to, like, kill himself. But, like, certainly I, I must have thought the first time that it was a distinct possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, right. No, and it is subtle. Like, I could see kind of, I think that sense has got stronger with me as I've rewatched it and, and more knowledgeable about, like, the, like, I have, I'm paying better attention to the story that Donna tells and everything. Like, the first time it all just kind of, uh, kind of washes over you. But certainly... Yeah. The more often I watch it, the more I feel like, why is he going out into that water? You know, it's it's conspicuous after all this talk mm-hmm. of drowning. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And in a little new catastrophic twist, that's what brings about his memory. Right. Like. Right. Like he finds like the door to a safe that, deposit box where. Right. Presumably, you know, that's what. He remembers um is where ellen right died right right so it's what triggers his not only his memory of the of the past life but the reveal of the fifth of the final five and and the fact that it's ellen the fact that right. you know which given the fact that he killed her is a sudden moment of hope of like hmm. hey she's a cylon this could change everything, you know, like in the midst of this despairing moment, there's a possibility for rebirth here and redemption and everything. Yeah. Well, and also, yeah. So the rebirth, like, I mean, literally she says, we'll be born again. Like, we'll, you know, have another chance here, uh, you know, through the resurrection technology that the Cylons have, but also that the final fives, the final five can be resurrected. Mm, right. Which is not something we necessarily knew at this point. We knew they sure. were special and and sort of one-off. So there isn't... Right. And all of the resurrection stuff has been destroyed at this point. Right. Um, right. Which is another catch. Like, oh, they could be resurrected, but uh, we destroyed the hub. So yeah. can they now is a question. But also the realization that Ellen Ty died before that resurrection stuff, right. you know, was destroyed. So what does that mean? Right. And, and, but at that same time, so, okay, so playing devil's advocate here, though, like, mm-hmm. did they have bodies for Ty and Ellen and, and the other final five, like on the resurrection ship. If so like what were they like sort of cordoned off, like in a mm-hmm. area not accessible to everyone else? Like, right. Well, just kind of, yes, it does beg that question for sure. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, I, yeah. Anyway, just thinking through that to, to be determined later, like in future storylines, I think, um, but yeah so anyway um but yeah so anyway so you get that revelation and um of course he does not at least i mean he's still standing in the water when the episode ends but like the presumption there is that now yeah. he had he at least has something to live for mm-hmm. um yeah 
and maybe he was never going to kill himself anyway, but now he certainly isn't. Um, right. So the other thing to touch on before we get to the long discussion with the, oh God, we are almost at two hours. But anyway, um, is the Starbuck and Leoben stuff. Yeah. Um, they're trying to find the signal that led them to the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do. They find it. It's Starbuck's ship. And Starbuck. Starbuck's ship leads her to Starbuck's ship, which she's in. Yeah. Which she, her, well, which a burnt body wearing her dog tag is in. And anyway. creepy blonde hair, just like hers. Like, that's yeah, the scariest. Like, the hair is the creepiest part of it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, which sets her kind of freaking out a bit, of course, like, as, as one would. would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, curious how, actually, you bring up the hair, like, how does, like, the entire rest of her body get so charred out of recognition? Sure, but, but like, the, the hair, hair is, fine, like, recognizable after presumably thousands of years? Like, we don't know, but, like. Right. Anyway. Right. Or is um, it more recent? Like, I don't, the timeline is weird. Like, right. Well, yeah. So I guess, I guess the, maybe the like more contemporary to when she went missing and was presumed dead and right, everything. Right. So maybe it's not that long, but which also, which still like begs the question of how is her, how, hair how is her hair still fine? Maybe she has protective though, like, anti-inflammatory product in it or something. I don't know. That's probably it. Um, <laughs> Maybe hair is a fire hazard in a viper and you have to, like, I don't know. Um, Leoben kind of freaks out and runs away. Yeah, right. So all <laughs> of his intuitive, spiritual, you know, BS. spirit guide Leoben is kind of BS in the end. He uh, he flees in kind of horror at this whole thing. So, so much for his help. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and she creates a funeral pyre to burn her body on. Yeah. I guess. I mean. Yeah. I think so. that's that's what she does, and doesn't tell anybody about it. You know, like even with Lee, like maybe she was gonna maybe tell him something, but kind of then doesn't. So she kind of. This is weird knowledge that she sort of keeps you know to herself of okay we now know i mean only ty knows but we know that ellen is the fifth cylon so definitively it's not starbuck so if starbuck died and sees her burned remains then that's the question that she's asking is what is she you know like you could have still made a case that she was a Cylon. And it seems like she's probably not. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And she mentions the hybrids prophecy too about the, the, the fulfillment of the, you're the harbinger of death. You'll lead them all to their end. You know, um, this would seem to potentially be a pointer to that. Right. Right. All right. So, Lee and D. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, the first, so what we get 
we get a few things with them sort of separate. Um, D in particular, because we've already kind of mentioned Lee in a couple of things, but like D in particular, mm-hmm. um, we mentioned her sort of watching Hera mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and being sort of calm after her little freak out maybe is too strong of a word but like her her you know whatever you want to call that in the rafter mm-hmm. of um saying don't give up don't give up and uh yeah i mean seems like like she says like just seems like a typical day right like just typical day to you she says to Hera, but like also, she's kind of acting like it is like, oh, I was looking forward to this and like, we're going to have a good time and, mm-hmm. you know, giving. It's kind of weird, like not quite sure what like Hilo and. And Athena are kind of going off to do like. Down do we... bar? Yeah, like what's going on here? But like they're entirely like too happy and like go lucky. Mm. for like what seems to be going on in the rest of the ship so it's just kind of unclear like what's what's happening now Mm. right like given like everything that everyone has learned like Mm -hmm. they're kind of just like playing around and like i mean that's fine like with their kid and stuff but even like as they're leaving they're like kind of laughing and yeah hey we're going out for a night on the hangar deck like no and i mean i think that's a good point is they're the only two who seem almost totally unaffected by, I mean, not that they're completely callous to it. They are on earth when they find it and look as sort of shocked as anybody else. But I don't know. I kind of take from it that like, if you want to call it their little nuclear family, that they have something that nobody else has that is allowing them to, not completely fall apart in the face of you know finding this earth that like maybe it is just the daughter and their relationship and the togetherness and the fact that like there's a future there um Mm -hmm. you know which maybe it's slightly heavy-handed the contrast you know could have maybe been maybe taken down a, a a little bit um but you know I think the fact that they're the ones that are, it's not insignificant that they're the ones that are kind of able to just almost act like normal around everything. Um, Which kind of, you know, Dee says, I look forward to this and I think it means it. I don't think she's lying about Mm -hmm. that, but that contrasts to her experience, like her marriage has fallen apart and like you know these relationships that she's had several of them haven't you know resulted in the kind of happiness that Hilo and Athena have um sure so maybe there's like a contrast there of like do you what do you have to live for and to keep going on for which is the thing that Ty finds in the end, you know, that kind of makes the difference, I guess, for him. Maybe it's kind of presenting the idea that Dee doesn't really have anything like that for herself. Yeah, possibly. Um, Although, let me bring this up now, though, because 
that occurs to me something that um I kind of wanted to you know give my take and get your take on is um the extent to which this is a fridging for Dee's character you know um you know so here's here's my position on this is that I I kind of buy this ending for Dee and like we can talk about like her decision and like what she does and everything like in more detail I don't mind the suicide necessarily and I don't mind the episode I think it's well done and it's presented well and she's you know the acting is good and everything what frustrates me about it is the kind of especially in the first half of season four any attention like there's no attention paid to her at all she's completely dropped pretty much from the story that like you know you could kind of argue that she always revolved a, re a bit around like lee as a character anyway and then once she and lee break up there's really no story for her after that she kind of sits in the cic and doesn't really do much um mm. so then even though i kind of don't even really mind this this fate for her it feels like a fridging in the sense that we're bringing her back just to kill her off and then see how it affects all the other characters um so i kind of wish there was more setup you know not necessarily more foreshadowing but just like setup of her character like you know, maybe it is that without Lee, she had no life of her own. And maybe it is just all related to her hopelessness. And that maybe does stem from the the way the relationship ended and everything. Or maybe it's that we didn't get enough of her character and we could have used more development there. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I mean... I wouldn't say 100% like her character around Lee because I feel like before her and Lee get together, there's actually quite a bit of like good stuff to say about her as like an officer in the CIC and like a go-to person and, mm -hmm. you know, for Adama and like in her courtship with Billy, like mm -hmm. there's... Right, and maybe I was more saying once she and Lee get together, yeah. it becomes well, a bit sidetracked. But you're absolutely right. Like her as the voice and the conscience of the CIC and the person who speaks truth to power when Bill needs to hear it and, and I'm calls thinking the even, pilots home and all that kind of thing was always really good. I'm thinking even, um, is it the episode... Yeah, don't we get um, like with the whole like Deanna introduction, right. whatever that episode is, like we get some stuff about Dee that's really good there too, like in her own. And right. and also as like a representative of um, Sagittarion, but like different from, right. like kind of forged her own way and broke mm -hmm. the religious, you know, whatever hold that that, right. you know. So. Well, I, and, and in retrospect, one of, for me, the favorite lines from that episode with Deanna is when, in light of this episode, is when Deanna asks her, does it ever get any easier? And she says, no, it gets harder. That, like, now sure. when I rewatch that, it's like, oh, you know, like, 
Yeah. Th- there was, that's why I don't necessarily... Eventually it gets too hard. I don't mind right. what happens to her. It's more that I wish that once she and Lee yep. were a couple, and then especially once they broke up, that they had continued building the character the way that they yeah. had been. No, I... So. I I don't, I, I did, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't think of it that way, but you saying that, like, definitely makes sense. Um, that I, I think you're right. Like, once, once they kill Billy off, which, like, if we're talking about, like, from an actor perspective, like, I believe it was his choice to leave, right? Like, the actor, right. like, wanted to go pursue yeah. other things, which, why? Like, what has he done since then? But, like, I would, like, that, that decision always, yeah. Yeah. baffles me with on shows where like the show is actually doing well you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. why would you leave that like why would you choose to do that like if if you got written off and it was like the story and and right. that was beyond your choice then like okay like oh you didn't that was a writer's thing and whatever but like mm-hmm. if if it why would you ask for that to happen and i don't, know. I don't yeah. get it and actors do silly things like that sometimes um Anyway, we're not talking about him. We're talking about D. Um, so I definitely agree with you that like once she and Adama and I don't maybe you could spin this into like, uh, well, the Adamas have such big personalities and blah, blah, blah and whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know that that seems like a cop out from an analysis perspective, because like I do feel like, yeah, you're right. Like they they could have just continued to build D's character and you know do stuff with her that was just for her (laughs) like Mm -hmm. not as adama's wife and like even like her promotion kind of gets backpedaled you know Mm because she's promoted right to even go over to the pegasus right right and and then it's like suddenly like nope she's just back in the cic as like communications officer right like right not no recollection of her having been basically second in command to lee and all of that stuff um so yeah no i i i can totally see that argument for this being a sort of fridging of her but at the same time like i i agree with you like there is there is sort of a through line i guess from those those earlier episodes where we do get you know really good stuff with her character to now mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that there is some i i mean i hesitate to say for i guess technically it could be foreshadowing but it's not like intentional foreshadowing <laughs> with lines right. like you know like you said like the you know it getting harder and at some point that means it's too hard right like right um, right if not deliberate foreshadowing like they knew that she would make this decision at least there's a through line of sense that they're um they're picking up on aspects of the character that are there already you know right. that like she's struggled with this despair and this tiredness from you know from the beginning but at the same time has been in some ways it's one of the hardest people to lose at this point because she's been so much the support for everybody else, you know? Um, well, and, and I mean, so if you want to work that in, uh, you know, in context of her character and stuff, like maybe that's part of the problem is right. she spent so much time taking care of other people and nobody 
yeah. really reciprocated to help take care of her. Right. And that, like, even even this episode, so, like, the big thing, like, if we're talking about her as a support for Lee, like, that's literally, like, it's all her encouraging him mm. to do, you know, to talk to the council and to, like, give people the hope that the yeah. that, that Adama and Roslyn and others are not offering to them. And um, actually, the, so the that kind of brings up the, like, one of the lines that I had here um, marked down for her, if I can scroll fast enough to find it again. Um, sorry. Uh, Lee says, I couldn't have done it without you, D. And she says, you will this time, too. And the double entendre there of, like, thinking, like, she could be referencing you 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 will do it again right like right. you you'll be able to do it again but the added part of without her well and even that is masked because without me because we broke up like so that doesn't even ring a bell like it doesn't even put a red flag right. out there because well i'm not your wife anymore so but you'll be fine you'll do it on your own you know and yeah but yeah watching it again yeah and people do things like that like you know like i was just talking to someone recently who talked about someone she knew in high school who committed suicide and the day before he went around giving all his stuff away and this mm -hmm. is like a high school student who like gave away his expensive set of golf clubs to his friend and like they just kind of assume like oh he's just he'll regret it tomorrow just and getting get them rid back. of stuff or yeah um, or or just cleaning out some space in my you know shed or whatever right yeah. but there was a deliberate premeditation there and and he was saying his goodbyes and passing his things on and that's the sense i get from d once she's sort of in her calm happy zen like state is like doing the things I enjoy doing one last time, giving people support one last time, like whether it's babysitting for them or, or telling Lee what he needs to hear or whatever it is. And then once I've done those things, then I can peacefully sort of move on. Right. Yeah. So here's the question though, cause like, and I brought this up before we started recording, but definitely want to talk about it here. Like, do you have a sense of when, and and maybe that sort of answers it. But, like, do you have a sense of when it is she decides to commit suicide? Like, because I'm not sure that I'm really necessarily clear. And I don't, and maybe there's not a clear answer. Like, I like there, there doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a single point where we can point to and, and say this is it. But, like, like, do you think when she, like, so to me, I... I don't think on the Raptor she's decided that yet. Right. Do you think, though, that, like, coming in and having a sort of, like, calmness and, you know, happiness, like, when she's babysitting Hera, do you think that point she has I don't made know. the decision? I, or I, I feel like definitely not on the Raptor. I think by the time she talks to Lee and he asks her on a date she does because of the line about you will you will this time like there's a that like seems it seems to be a foreshadowing too much yeah. I think so um but 
Hmm. Yeah, it's that in between, I'm not sure, like where in between there. I mean, with Hera, I guess the calmness is the major the major red flag there of like, does she get her peace when she makes her decision? Which is, I think what I've heard about things like that is that like, you know, there's some sense of calm or euphoria that comes just from having decided to do something. Um, so I guess you could kind of take the fact that she seems more herself and more put together with Hera is maybe evidence of that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have a real definitive answer one way or the other. And maybe that, I mean, if I'm including that in the, in the category of her kind of giving away things and, you know, like the, the idea that she could give Hilo and Athena something, you know, mm. like, give that support one last time. I feel like that kind of supports the idea that um, she's kind of making her farewells and making her peace and kind of doing that little farewell tour type thing. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I don't know. Much like Lee says, we don't know. You don't really ever get an answer and it's not something you'll get an answer. You can't ever really you know, I mean, certainly in real life, you never get to hear the inside of someone's head as they make that decision. And there's some of that ambiguity with D of. Um, right. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Cause I could also see like, like maybe she's thinking about it at that point, mm -hmm. but like, right. Doesn't actually know what she'll do until she's alone in the officer's quarters. Sure. You know, by herself and then just says you know what yes this, this is, is this is good so and let's you know we're a little over but i don't care this is a big moment and it deserves attention um any what else like to go into like the scene in the locker room um yeah well so right so okay so she goes presumably even, looking even though it me. is a it, even though it is a fridging and it affects the male characters, that doesn't mean it doesn't affect the male characters in interesting ways, you know? So I want to talk mean, about that too. And, and let's not shortchange D, right. you know, with what she does do. Like even, even if maybe like it's technically a fridging, like that doesn't mean there's not stuff to talk about with her character up until mm -hmm. those last moments. Um, yeah. I mean, so she goes seeking out Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, presumably to just sort of like tell him hey the raptor's leaving and ready to take you back to colonial one mm -hmm. and that's where it's like they kind of have this big discussion about you know that's where he brings up like having been on the pegasus and like we had some good times didn't we and i mean like Yes, this is the writer sort of like building it up like, hey, remember all the things that, you know, we went through here. Um, and her sort of encouragement of him to do what needs to be done. Um, and there's that sense of like, maybe there's something being rekindled here, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, he asks her out for a drink and she, she calls it a date. It's a date. 
Right. And that. And then, you know, next time we see them, it's after said date. And, you know, like her, like, well, I want to remember every little detail of what you said and, you know, like this and that. And, and just kind of like that thing of like, you know, feeling good in the moment and they have the good night kiss. And again, that idea of like the rekindling and, I mean, I'm sure there are people who who might look at it like she's leading him on or whatever, like knowing that mm-hmm. this is literally as far it can as it could ever go. Mm-hmm. If if she does in fact know at that point or strongly suspect that she's going to kill herself, but there's also just that like of being like it's that zen like quality again of like com- being completely in the moment and just enjoying. Mm each you know thing as it comes um so that even when she does go in to the quarters and there's uh Gaeta sitting there you know like talking about the fracking planet you know that's mm-hmm. useless and she's like I don't want to think about that I just want to keep this moment for as long as I can right and I guess that would be the thing of like maybe that's when she feels like it's time to do it is when she feels that moment starting to slip away. Sure. No, and that's a really good point that that could be, that could mean that it's a more spontaneous thing, even if she'd been considering the idea. Yeah. It could be that the perfectness of that moment is what it is that kind of tips her over the edge of like, okay, it's going to be now. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I mean, Yeah, I don't, I don't, like, I don't, without getting into, like, all the specifics of, like, Lee's little speech and stuff, which I don't think we need to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that just seems to me, like, like, her whole purpose there of just, maybe it doesn't recapture the best of what they had before, but it's, like, as close as you can get in the MR, which I guess, like, so if I was talking about, like, um, Hilo and Athena and their sort of happiness like here's Lee and Dee like having a drink and having a good time sort of amidst all the mm-hmm. you know pain and right you know dismay of the rest of the crew and and everything right. so like yeah maybe I was too harsh on Hilo and Athena earlier right um, like there are ways to find joy in the midst of yeah of despair and everything but still you do get that sense too. I mean, certainly with D because you're kind of being prompted to, but I guess you could backtrack with Hilo and Athena too, that like happiness in these circumstances is a bit suspicious, you know, like, and I think that's what they're getting at with Gata is like, you're glowing. Like that's not normal right now. Mm-hmm. And that almost like kind of tips him into noticing like something's weird, Something's wrong, but yeah. she shuts him down and kind of says like, quit your belly aching. I don't want to hear about it because I just had a nice date and he lets it go. Um, but mm-hmm. like, it's, it is odd enough that like what he's doing, which is complaining about their useless, hopeless planet is what's normal right now. Like this is what a healthy person does to mm-hmm. most people. Like this is the, this is the uh, expected response to the situation. Um, sure. 
not necessarily welling in your own despair the way that Rosalind is, but a, a healthy amount of complaining, you know, seems kind of appropriate. So the fact that she's deliberately not thinking about that and just living in whatever moments of happiness she can is, is a bit, is a bit odd. Um, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you have anything else with her? Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have a ton. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's not, there's not too much left at that point. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess just the end of that conversation that she kind of deflects any suspicion that Gata might have and just kind of says like, you know, don't talk about that stuff. And that's the end of it. Um, I mean, and even the fact that she waits for him to leave, like, and mm. like deliberately watches him leave over her shoulder. Like there's yeah. still that sense of, of taking care of people, you know, like not doing it. I mean, he still finds her anyway, but at least maybe in her mind, she's waiting for a private moment, like trying to mm. cause a minimal amount of, you know, fuss or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, I want to point out like Gaeta's reaction too, because definitely it affects him as well as the Adamas. Um, sure. And racetrack, right? Uh, Celix. Or Celix. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. Right. Right. Like just being the ones to sort of find her and, um, I just assume everything is racetrack. Season. Just if it's racetrack is usually bad things are happening around racetrack. Um, um but yeah. Um Yeah, which I mean even in just the little scenes that he's in, I feel like there's a interesting progression with Gata there cuz the complaining about the nuked planet strikes me as like somewhat healthy again like it's a it's a normal amount of complaining. It's not wallowing and he's just kind of like, I just feel like bitching about this. And it's, you know, like that's as far as it goes. And it's not really till again after what happens to D that he seems more affected at like a deeper level. Like it's not even so much about the planet. It's about what happens to D. Um mm. And that, oh, that look that he gives Lee when Lee doesn't even look at him. When, you know, he kind of like storms out of the morgue and like brushes past him and doesn't meet his eyes. There's like, you know. Yeah. A, a, like a lot of unspoken feeling in, in the look there. So much as I wish they build it up more, um, I do think it, they do a good job of like, having Dee's death have like this ripple effect to the people around her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like there was, yeah, there was definitely a relationship, a friendship between mm -hmm. Dee and Gaeta too. Like mm -hmm. as like co CIC officers, you know, mm -hmm. like they always kind of. Right got along together like right there's been like a rapport between them and mm -hmm. yeah well when we didn't talk about in the last episode when 
again with the helping like he drops his pills and she helps like get them for like that the relationship is called out again of mm-hmm. them looking out for each other um which I, f- I feel like it makes it even more painful the fact that he almost notices that something is wrong you right. know it's that near miss that makes yeah. it the hardest you know? well i mean he does notice it's just the explanation is right different than right what it turns out to actually be yeah right 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 so you definitely get a sense of the you know her loss affects him you know almost as much as the adamas um so that's kind of an important thing for his character going forward yeah all right um well on that note speaking of going forward we'll be back next week then with uh yeah with the next episode there and uh the last of our buffy run of you know four episodes but uh some more some more stuff on the potentials and uh yeah figuring out trying to figure out anyway maybe how to beat this uh tough vampire right and um the bsg next we're gonna do the webisodes the season four webisodes right next. oh thank you so um, right so you had said before that they maybe were technically filmed before right uh, this, yeah but like in, yeah in i can chronological order take place after right this episode that right so about. so we'll talk about this here's the screwy timeline filmed later filmed after the series had wrapped but aired like posted online in the hiatus between like the break in the middle of season four but they take place at this point in the story so it's very um confusing uh you know but like i think it's pretty clear you could kind of do it where they aired it, but I think once you see them, it's pretty clear that it's supposed to be now that like the fleet is on the move again. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, Dee's suicide isn't mentioned, but it's very heavily implied. So if you hadn't seen the episode, it wouldn't have spoiled anything. Um, But the the, the episodes are very Gata centric. So um, his state of mind, I think, mostly makes sense in light of Dee's suicide so um it kind of works better to put them here so that's what we're doing well all right then uh cool well we'll we'll be back next week with both of those then sounds good see you then Mm -hmm.